Hi, everybody. I'm so glad you're here and just want to say thank you to all of you joining us online. Still blown away by how many people are tuning in. So, Heartland, will you just take a moment and welcome all those watching. Thanks for joining us. We love you so much. Thank you. And I just got to say, my son Nick, his football team, the Wheaton Thunder, they are 7-0. and uh, Just an incredible win last week, and I'm so glad I was there. A couple more wins, and it's, it's going to be playoffs. I'm glad I made the promise. I'm glad to be on the sidelines. I feel like, like, a, like just a normal dad. So thank you for the opportunity. I can't tell you how priceless and it is and how grateful we are. So it's great. But, but I'm so excited to kick off part two of this new series, you asked for it because you asked for it. And, you know, so many of the sermons that Jesus gave in the Bible were in response to questions that the crowd asked him. So back at Easter, I asked you to ask me anything, and you did, and hundreds of you responded, and we compiled the top five questions. We just completed a whole series on the first most asked question, which was, are we living in the end times? And I spent six weeks in the book of Daniel. You can catch that online. And the number two most asked question, I asked Steve Arterburn to come help me with last week. He talked about how can I really change? It was an incredible message. And for those of you who don't know, Steve is a nationally uh, syndicated talk show host. I mean, the number one Christian counseling show in America on tv.newlife.com. And uh, he lives right here in Indianapolis. He's one of our teaching pastors. Well, he's going to be helping me answer these questions all through this series. Like, there were a lot of questions that came in that had to do with sex, and need I say more? Uh, Steve finds a way to work sex into every message, so Lord help us. But uh, together, we're going to talk about next week, we're going to talk about great sex, because you asked for it. And our culture has severely distorted what God has to say about sex, like, like he's boring, like he's prudish, like, you know, he doesn't want people to do it. <laughs> Can I remind you that the Bible opened up with, with two naked people in the garden, and he didn't walk up on them and catch them red-handed and say, oh my God, I mean... Me, you know, he didn't, he didn't say that. He, he invented it. And so, uh, you know, for those of you who, who wonder, are you one of those people who take the Bible literally? Listen, let me tell you, this is one time you'll be glad to know the truth and the truth will set you free. So I can't wait to share this with you. It's going to be PG-13, just warning you, but we'll, we'll keep it there. But I'm so glad that you're going to be coming back. Now, now today we're going to talk about another question that you asked, which was, uh, what do I do as a single? You see, when are you going to speak to the needs of singles in our church? One of the questions that you wrote it actually really touched me. It went something like, would you please remember those of us who are single, not because it has to do with me, but more that it brings up hurtful feelings of being left out yet again. And so today, Steve and I are going to talk specifically to singles. And you're not alone. You're, you're not left out. You're normal. You know, there's 112 million unmarried adults in this country. 47% of the population are, are, are single, and yet they often feel ignored and left out, especially in church, which is crazy considering the elevation of single people in the Bible. There's just so many examples. Like Hagar, who not only found herself single, but found herself as an abandoned single parent. And then there was Naomi, who was married, but her husband died, and she was widowed, and she found herself single again and remained so the rest of her life. And then you have Mary, you know, the mother of Jesus, who was a single mother for a season of her life, and she's the greatest mom ever. And then the Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, the greatest of all the apostles, why we're here today, and yet he chose a single life. And then Jesus Christ himself chose not to get married, and he's our Lord and Savior. He was single. So 
the two purposes for this message is number one, just to encourage singles and to challenge you, but, but also number two, to have a goal of sensitizing the church to the unique, unique blessings of being single because too often there's this unspoken attitude in our culture and our community that if you're still single, there's something wrong with you. Like with all the emphasis on romance and relationships, there's this expectation you know, about marriage and getting connected with somebody, being attached to someone as if that's the only normal thing. And I've heard so many careless statements, thoughtless comments like, girl, you're not married yet and you better get with it. You know, time's running out or your biological clock is ticking. Oh my gosh, the pressure. I mean, the pressure to have a boyfriend or a girlfriend or have a mate and time goes on, you start thinking, well, what's wrong with me? You feel like that unclaimed luggage down at the airport just going round and round and nobody wants to ever pick you up. Well, then your girlfriend comes in and showing, showing the ring and everybody's so happy, you just want to punch her in the face. So, you know, next time you go to your wedding and uh, a wedding and you're Grandma leans over and says, don't worry, honey, you're next, you know, and that just freaks you out. Next time, just when you go to a funeral with her, just lean over and say, don't worry, Grandma, you're next. You know, that'll really, that'll, that'll really help you right there. Now, that's the reality of just the loneliness and just a lot of the pressure and shame that single people carry and all the advice they get given all the time. Like, your marriage is so perfect. Like, I heard somebody actually say this week, like, I used to think I was lonely, and then I got married. <laughs> You know, so people are single for all kinds of reasons. You can't judge. Some are never married. Some are widowed. Someone walked out. They've been abandoned. Haven't found that person yet. Just enjoy being single. But there's this whole negative aura around it. So we're going to lift that off today. So first of all, I just want to set the record straight that not all people are supposed to get married. True. It's not God's will for everybody to get married. That, 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 may, that may come as a shock to you, but it's true. Not everybody is going to get married, and statistically, it's impossible. There's 88 unmarried men for every 100 unmarried women. And then if you add the 5% of the guys are in prison, and then another 5% who have same-sex attraction, that is about 90%. And I'm not telling you, girls, you know that the pickings are slim. And I learned from Steve Harderburn this week that Christian Mingle is claiming 7 million single Christians on ChristianMingle.com. Let me just tell you, not everybody on Christian Mingle is a Christian. We're going to help you with that today. If that's your standard of what Christianity is, it's too low. If he's 27 and at home playing video games, living at mom's house, your standard is too low. We're going to help you today. So get out your notes, get your scriptures, uh, get the scriptures out, and we're going to lay a foundation from God's word about what God has to say about singleness. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, here's two basic ideas we're going to develop today. And here's the verse. I wish that all of you were single as I am, but each one has your own gift from God. One person has this gift and another person has the other. And the Apostle Paul wrote in the New Testament, I mean, he's the guy who's the greatest um, apostle of them all, and he was single, and he says, I want you to know these things. So number one, write it down, single, singleness is a gift. And we just need to get that out there. It's a gift. There's nothing wrong with the state of being single. Paul says it's a gift from God, and I wish everybody had it like me. So single people, God's given you the gift of being single. It's that same word when Paul says in Romans chapter 3 that the gift of God is eternal life, that, that he gave it freely to you, that you didn't earn it. It's just been, you've been graced with it, and it's for your benefit. And we know when we receive a gift, we should receive it with gratitude and thanksgiving, like, wow, I just want to thank God that he thought enough of me to bless me with the gift of singleness. It's not a curse. 
It's not a sign of rejection. It's not a mark of being left out. It is a gift of God. Look at this verse again. Each one of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Well, the God who loved you gives you a special gift, and there's nobody else like you. It's a special, unique gift for you in this unique season of life. It's, it's maybe for, for a time, it's maybe for your whole lifetime, but for whatever season that he's given it to you, you ought to be thankful and say, this is a gift from God. It's not somebody's fault. This is not Satan's curse. You're given a gift from God, and it's something you should be grateful for. And really, most single people look at their singleness as some sort of a curse or something to get out of as quickly as possible. Uh, something must be wrong, and you just feel that deep down, but you've been given this gift of singleness. And look what Paul says in verse 8. Now, to the unmarried I, and the widows, I say it's good for them to stay unmarried as I do. And that's the second thing that Paul says. Write this down. Again, I know this is so countercultural, but he says singleness is a gift and singleness is good. It's a gift and it's good. Now, I know many of you are going, what's so good about that? But the word, uh, the word good uh, is just so much more here. It actually means in the original language, it means beautiful. It's attractive. Like it's good, it's precious, it's stunning, it's compelling. Paul is saying that, that, that it's a beautiful thing. And, and he says this under the inspiration from God himself. There's nothing wrong or bad or ugly or unpleasant or incomplete. It is beautiful to be single. There's nothing more beautiful than a holy life that's marked by sexual purity. A concept in our society that's totally forgotten. So hard to get our hands around that, but friends, there is power in God's word to transform your mind. And if you'll just open your heart to these two ideas, this is good, it's a gift. You know, let God's power change the way you think about this. I mean, next week when we talk about sex, it's, you know, it's not some animalistic instinct. I mean, you're a beautiful child of God. You're, you're worth something, you're valuable, and you're supposed to live this beautiful, exceptional life. And so God's given you this gift. Instead of complaining because somebody walked away or somebody didn't complete you, somebody rejected you, or instead of mourning what you don't have, I'm praying that you will come to a moment of inspired curiosity today, that there's another way to look at your life. Because I know one day you're going to come to gratitude for the gift of being single. You're going to look at that person that you thought was so great. They're going to come walking down the street. And you're going to go, thank you, Lord. Thank you so much. I could, I could have been hooked up to that. And you're going to be thankful. So it's all about your perspective. I'm praying that one day soon God will help you see the gift that you've been given, that your story could have been some reality show, but it's not. And, and you just had, you've been given a great gift. So as, as we go through the scripture today, the scripture is going to explain the blessings, the benefits of being single. Some of you, you've never thought of. And, you know, Steve has written so many award-winning books on this. He wrote a book for singles called, Is This the One? Or How to Avoid Mr. Wrong? Or Every Single Man's Battle? These are all great books. He's an expert on this. And he's going to talk about the rift that's happening in Christian dating right now things that will single-handedly destroy your life as a single, and, and really the, the benefits of being single. So you'll just open up your heart, put your hands together, give a huge welcome to Steve Arterburn. I know he's going to bless you today. Hi there. can't believe Darren said I always talk about sex. When I, there, two years ago, uh, I did a Mother's Day sermon, and I didn't mention it one time. So... <laughs> I don't know what he's talking about. Anyway, uh, I'm going to um, do the best I can with this candy hangover that I have. Um, we managed to go trick-or-treating. What a joy that was last night. And um, every child was dressed up like a coat. So um, 
But anyway, we uh, managed to, um, to stuff our kids with uh, more candy than most pinatas. And uh, in fact, they kind of look like pinatas today. But anyway, I hope you had a great uh, Halloween. And how many of you dressed up like Mary and Joseph? Okay, well, good. That's good. <laughs> This morning, I was um, watching the Hallmark Channel. I was watching a, a movie on the Hallmark Channel, which really should be called 1800 Variations on the Notebook Hallmark Movie Channel. Because, you know, it's got, I mean, okay, I cried myself, but uh, it's just kind of mushy. And we were watching this. And um, I asked Solomon, I said, uh, Solomon, based on the commercials that are on this movie channel, who do you think watches these movies? And he says, people that are about to die. Because, I mean, it's just one medication after another. And uh, I thought that was good insight. And um, as we were watching, he says, um, hey, hey, Dad, these people are going to get married. I said, how do you know? He says, because they hate each other. <laughs> and that's kind of the formula, you know, on those movies is you hate each other and there's no way you could ever get together and then you get together and, uh, and then you hate each other after that. But they, but they end the movie before that part gets there. And what I want to do is uh, just talk a little bit about getting to there, beyond the Hallmark single movie, and what do we do, you know, how do we avoid that other piece uh, that is, um, you know, it's really dreadful and difficult, and for many people, horrible. You know, they, um, they were looking for a fairy tale kind of existence, and then they find themselves uh, right there in the midst of, um, of a nightmare. Or they, you know, they thought they found the ideal, you know, and then they did the deal, and then that became an ordeal, and uh, then they were looking for a new deal. And we, we don't want to do that. That's, uh, that's not God's intent. But being single for some people is God's intent. And there are some folks in this world that need to get over that. Uh, Single people need to get over that, that that's God's calling. And a lot of married people need to quit trying to cram marriage uh, down the throats of certain singles that literally might be called uh, to stay in the single world. Now, if you've looked at the scripture uh, that's on your little um, outline, you can see that Darren has left me at a very interesting place in 1 Corinthians. And it starts with, now, uh, you virgins. Well, you know, <laughs> I just, about the virgins. I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Now, I don't know why Darren thought that I should pick it up with virgins, but uh, I, I want to just say that this is kind of also representing young women, uh, all young women. And rather than go through this big, long scripture... Uh, I just want to say that the whole point of this passage is that some of you, he's saying, are already pledged to people or engaged. Don't, don't back out. Some of you aren't, and if you aren't, based on all the persecution that's going on, the circumstances that we're dealing with today, maybe it would just be best if you didn't get engaged or you didn't 
get married. And then he goes on to say that, um, you know, if you're single, you can really be all about the Lord's work. And there are a lot of singles that are about the Lord's work. But there are a lot of singles who would want you to kind of think that, uh, but they're, they're not. And, um, and so we'll talk about that a little bit there. But the whole point of this is that, you know, don't, don't succumb to pressure to get married. Uh, don't succumb to pressure to stop being married or stop being engaged so that you stay single. Let's just, let's just keep going here. But he does have an opinion based on that time in the culture that it would be best if folks could stay single. Now, when you think about the divorce rate in our country, and, and you think about how many people in the Christian community are going to get a divorce, about a third, and then another third are miserable and never will get a divorce. So about two-thirds of Christians that are married are either moving toward divorce or they want a divorce, but they'll never get it. And then when you look at what he's saying here in that light, he's saying we ought to be a little bit more careful about who gets married and who doesn't. And so it's not really a strange passage at all saying, I wish you could stay uh, single. And then if you're, you know, married, well, uh, there's no reason for you to join uh, singlehood because, as I've said before, when they interview folks, uh, five years after the divorce or five years after staying together when they came to the point of divorce the people that stay together are much much happier now um, I don't like to talk about this because it's humiliating um, but I, I will I was single about a decade ago or 12 or 13 years ago uh, 14 years ago uh, I was I was left by uh, my wife at the time after 20 years of marriage. And so I was thrust into being single. And I got to tell you, I was full of fear. And I was full of shame for what had happened to me. So I know what it's like to uh, all of a sudden be thrust into singlehood. To uh, be going to um, a church where you feel like, you know, you're just part of the deal, and then uh, all of a sudden you instantly feel like a, a reject, an outcast. That, I mean, that's how I felt. Some people don't. I hope you wouldn't at this church. But what I was going through and what I went through, I felt tremendous amount of shame that had to be worked through before I was ready to begin to consider a life uh, that was ahead. Oh my goodness, am I glad I went through uh, all that I went through so that I could one day marry uh, my wife and we'll celebrate our 10th anniversary this March and we have two children, uh, Solomon and Amelia, that would have never entered the world if the weird stuff hadn't happened in both of our lives with previous people. Now, what is my point? My point is that when you, you fall into a, a horrible place 
and you don't give up and you look for God's will, you, you know, you don't have to remain feeling like a second-class Christian as a single, and you don't have to feel like a second-class Christian as a blended family, that God can bless all of that, and every bit of it can be a gift. But here is uh, the rift, and that is that a lot of people say a lot of stuff as Christians, and they don't mean it. You know, I, I heard a guy say, um, or somebody told me a story about a guy that said, I would climb the highest mountain for you. I would swim the widest river for you. I would walk across the hottest desert for you. And I'll see you on Sunday if it doesn't rain. Now, see, there's just some inconsistency there. And that is what single uh, Christians need to be looking for, is inconsistency. And so let's look at some things that are kind of uh, inconsistent. Um, Things that ought to cause us to stop and say, well, wait, um, I don't, as a single, I don't have a lot of problems that I have to deal with, um, with another person. I'm free uh, to do what I want to do. I, I can make choices on my own. I have independence. Why would you give that up for somebody that is going to turn on you as soon as they capture you? which is, it's kind of a plague on our society, the people that do an, an, a 180 or they flip on a person as soon as they are married. So what do we, we need to look at? Well, uh, there are a lot of people who are unchristianly that claim to be Christians. They, you know, they say, I don't struggle with temptation. I just give in to it. You know, it's no big deal. To them. Why would God give me these urges if I wasn't supposed to fulfill them? Well, there are a lot of urges and a lot of proclivities that we all can have that God doesn't expect us to act on and fulfill. That's why we're called human beings and not animals, that we can make decisions to restrict our behavior and experience this uh, kind of boring-sounding word called self-control. Another problem with the rift is uh, we just have this simplistic dating criteria of, oh, he said he was a Christian. Well, that's just one of the biggest mistakes that you could possibly ever make as a, a person that's dating because um, a lot of times if you look at that person's character, uh, you have to ask, well, do Christians lie like that? Do they manipulate like that? Do they abuse like that? Do they abandon like that. In fact, there's nothing Christian about this person except for the title because they're desperate people. And desperation is the foundation of divorce. If we date in desperation, then we marry in desperation, and then we are set up uh, to end that relationship. Uh, you know, we talk about love at first sight, but a lot of people, it's love at first fight. When, they, when the conflict happens, they are hooked on the relationship because maybe they were brought up in a home full of conflict and it feels so comfortable or it feels they're so used to it that they end up connected to the worst person in the entire world. Or they have unfinished business from the past. You know, if you see pictures of exes on the mantle... 
or, or on Facebook or there's still interest on Pinterest, you know, those kinds of things ought to cause you to say, maybe this person isn't finished with the past and I need uh, to, to kind of back away and let them do that. And then, um, you know, there is disconnection from same-sex relationships. One of the things that we need to ask people um, as singles who date is tell me about your friends. And when somebody doesn't have friends, then that's a real huge red flag. In fact, it's not a red flag. It's a, uh, one of those uh, nuclear warning yellow and black stickers is what that is. That'll be right on the forehead of that person. Why, aren't, why don't they have any friends? Why aren't they connected with people of the same sex? And if you are a single and you're not, then you're going to get in trouble. Because if you have friends that are around you, they're going to say, um, I, don't, I don't mean to um, hurt your feelings or anything, but um, I think given the fact that he was carrying a knife and it had blood on it, that he is actually a mass murderer. I, I just, you know, it's just something I... I um, thought you might have overlooked was that, that machete in his hand there. Because, you know, when you're single, you're blind. Um, marriage, of course, is the eye-opener, but you are blind, and you are mentally ill, and you don't see things like a machete with blood all over it. And so, friends will tell you that. And you won't listen to them, but at least they'll tell you that. And then uh, many times, um, and I rarely talk about this, but uh, many times there is wound-driven um, or broken and broken sexuality. I, I rarely talk about sex, but uh, here we got to talk about that. And that is that some people are having sex as singles because it's the only kind of connection they know how to have. They don't know how to have an intimate um, emotional or spiritual connection. And then when you have this, the sexual connection, and I know this you know, it can sound like it's just so old-fashioned, but it's just so true. When you have the sexual connection as a single, you quit growing the emotional and the spiritual connection. It is a, a, a very difficult thing to do. Now, when Misty and I were dating, I don't know if you've ever seen my wife, but she's quite attractive, and um, I knew that if we got married, she, in fact, she says, once I ask her out, she knew, uh, and she said out loud in the car when I was on the phone with her, uh, that once I asked her out, she said, if we're going to have a date, we are going to get married. That's what she said to herself, and, and uh, sure enough, it was. But I got to tell you, you know, we dated quite a while, and since I wrote Every Man's Battle, I thought the least I could do is not have sex with the person I was dating, since I was, you know, and so... Um, talk about gnashing of teeth. I, sometimes my lip was completely bleeding from uh, biting it so hard. But, you know, you, you go through that. And, and the thing is, if you're going to go through all of, the, of the, the difficulties of singlehood, make the best, not the worst of it. And it will grow you in character and prepare you for marriage or prepare you for being one amazing single person who has this incredible life and doesn't depend on any other person to provide that life. So, um, 
it's tough, but, but there's a reason um, that it's tough, and that is because the toughness will build your character to build the relationship and the marriage, or it will destroy it. And then, um, as I mentioned earlier, I was full of shame, and, and that's uh, the big rift. If we are doing shameful things or we feel ashamed uh, because we're newly single or whatever, then we are going to tend to make some really crummy decisions. And then, disconnection. Uh, maybe we have never had disconnection modeled healthily, so we don't know how to connect. Or maybe we saw connection and it was so full of anger and rage on the part of our parents that we don't want any part of it. Or maybe we're, a, we're afraid of connection because we did have it and then we were abandoned or abused in the midst of it. So all of these are things that need to be talked about rather than kind of, um, kind of smoothed over or ignored when you are dating. Because I want to tell you, if you're seeing a person that breathes fire during dating, there's a lot of heat and flame down here for you to be able to breathe fire. And so what you're seeing is a symptom of something that's deeper, and they need to go and they need to do the work. And if you uh, are more like a fire-breathing dragon uh, than a wonderful single person. You do the work down here. You don't manage the smoke up here. You resolve the fire down here. And that's the, the healthiest thing that you can do. Now, there's some things that we don't want to do uh, as singles. And, and that uh, is, is important. And here they are. Don't wait for someone else to make you happy. In fact, the research shows how many would like to win the lottery. I think all of us would like to win the lottery. If you win the lottery, it, the happiness factor will last about 90 days. And if you're looking for marriage to make you happy, it will probably last less than that. So for us to hope that somebody's going to come in and make us happy is never going to happen. It's an unrealistic expectation. It sets you and the other person up for failure. But instead, you know, we have to look to Jesus, as it says in John 10, 10, to give us the rich and satisfying life because Satan is the thief that wants to come and rob and, and kill and destroy every dream that God has for us. So we have to be very careful. And then second thing is we don't want to compromise our purity. Proverbs 14, 12 says, There is before every person a very wide and pleasant road that seems so right, but in the end, in the end, it always ends in death and destruction. So purity is something that we never, ever want to compromise. And if we do, because somebody is a self-proclaimed genius uh, who thinks that they know more than what Scripture says and that Scripture, uh, all Scripture and, and morality was written for a different time, uh, then that's not the person that we need to be with. And then marrying out of desperation to fix things. Nothing gets fixed when you try to fix things with marriage. And that leads us kind of into this, this next one, the bifurcation myth, that I can be this way 
one day, eat wedding cake, and I'll be like this the next. Or I can be engaged to somebody who showed, shows me that they are really crummy this way, and I think once we get married, that person is just going to be perfect for me. That's the bifurcation myth. Total, separate, distinct personalities, and all that's in the middle is a little wedding cake and some words said in front of some people. Or once I marry the person, I will be able to change that person. My love is really what's missing from their life. And if I can just give them enough of that love, they're going to respond and they're going to change. And it just simply doesn't happen. Uh, Satan is roaring and roaming like a lion, but he's dressed up in a bunny costume so you won't recognize him, and he wants to tear you to shreds and destroy everything that God has for you. And he will use these tools of desperation to do it. All right, so what do we do? Well, let's do this. Let's accept and find meaning in God's good gift. Let's let our hope be in the living God, as it says in 1 Timothy 4.10. And, um, and let's find that singleness is a unique time where God blesses us uniquely. Now, uh, the other day on our radio program, we had a lady call. She was 75 years old. She says, I, I, I want to I wanna get married again. Um, we also had a, another guy call and said, I've got an 83 year old uh, mother, and she wants to marry this man, but she's going to lose all her benefits. You know? So the desire for marriage, um, well, it, it never ends. It's like the military. A lot of people complain about it, but they re-enlist over and over again, and that's what marriage is all about, because it, it, when it's right, it's, it's good, and it's wonderful, and it's a, it's a great gift of God. When it's not right, uh, it's, it's absolutely a little taste of hell right, right here. And so uh, we need to find God's gift in all of this. We need to trust his word to protect us. Um, you know, these four absolutes that I mentioned last week, the absolutes of absolute honesty, absolute purity, absolute unselfishness, and absolute love. Now, you never can find and live in those unless you absolutely die to yourself. But that's how we live according to God's will and find his future for us is in those absolutes. And so, and then uh, resolve the old wounds from the past, um, you know, so that we can have real fellowship with other people. A traumatized single, who's been traumatized by an abusive person, a, an addicted person, an abandoning person, a traumatized single lives out their trauma, if it's never been dealt with, versus live out their calling that God has placed upon their life. Because God has a calling on every person's life, single or not. And the question is, do we ever get to that calling, or do we continue to live in the trauma? And then you want to invite feedback and invest in yourself, which could mean that the greatest thing you could do 
is to get a new haircut or a new hairstyle, do a little color job, whatever. But what you want to do is ask God to do what you can't, but you need to do the best you can with what you have. And uh, I've had people say to me, that's the best advice anybody ever gave because until then, they were saying, I want someone to love me for who I am on the inside. Well, that's important. But, you know, if... If you look your worst so that you'll see if somebody loves you on the inside, you, you will relate to people in a different way looking your worst than if you look your best and have a great attitude about the way you look. So the Bible says don't focus so much on the outside, which is true, but it, all, it doesn't say ignore what we look like on the outside. It doesn't say that that doesn't matter. It matters a lot. And so we need to do the best we can with what we have if we want for God to, to bring someone into our life and for them to be attracted to us. It's kind of helpful to be uh, as tra attractive as possible. That's if you feel like you're called to be married, not called to be single, and you would like to find somebody else to be with. So... Another little piece of advice is to stop memorizing the tops of your shoes. You, you want to be sure uh, that you're looking up and you're meeting people and you're engaging with folks rather than thinking it's your job uh, to be uh, very quiet and reserved and disconnecting. Just makes sense. If you want to connect, be a connecting person. Be open. Uh, be secure. When we have faith in God, we have no reason to be anxious or insecure. Okay, so let me just say this. God has plans for us, as it says uh, there in Jeremiah 29, 11. And many times uh, we have gotten off of the plan. In fact, if you look at the scripture here, um, it says that uh, there are a lot of people that got wrapped up in sexual sin. This is 1 Corinthians 6. Um, there are a lot of people that are thieves, and a lot of people um, were male prostitutes, it says. They were involved in homosexual behavior. Um, they were greedy. It, it lists all these horrible people. And then he says, and that's who you guys used to be. So no matter what level of sin we have, God can step in and do something absolutely miraculous so we don't have to be those kind of people anymore. I, I was one of those kind of people. Were you one of those kind of people? I know some of your histories, and, and you absolutely were uh, some of those people. But God gives us hope and purpose and meaning. So, essentially, I'm saying we need to change our thinking, Romans 12, 2. We need to be transformed by changing our thinking about what it means to be single, how we ought to be single. Us married folks need to change our attitudes sometimes in our thinking about single folks. We need to bear each other's burdens. And if singlehood is a burden for somebody in this church, we need to be part of bearing that burden and inviting them into our lives and into our families uh, to help them. And then if we will trust the Lord, as it says in Isaiah 40, 31, uh, he will renew our strength. 
and, and we'll be able to find that future that he has for us. So I'll sum it up in um, three little phrases. Don't give out, don't give in, and don't give up. Harriet Beecher Stowe said, never give up, for that is just the place and the time that God will turn the tide. And it really is. A lot of times we're ready to give up, and that's the place that if we have persevered, uh, God absolutely moves at that moment. Now, you remember that little piece of glass? I don't know if you were here last week. I showed you the piece, that little piece of beach glass that means so much to me, you know. And uh, I, I'll show you a picture of it again in case you forgot what it looked like. That's, that's this. And I just think that that little piece of glass is beautiful. I think it's a work of art, you know. And, and uh, I, I want to um, hang that up in my house. Probably has no value to you whatsoever, but it does to me. But there's a place in Kauai called Glass Beach. And let me show you a picture of that. You take a little piece of glass like this, and you mix it with a lot of other pieces of glass on Glass Beach, and you can see just how beautiful all those little shards of broken glass, smoothed out, roughed up, how beautiful that is. You see the cliff up there, there's a cemetery uh, above this place in Kauai called Glass Beach. And um, it was um, an Asian community that had their cemetery there. And whenever someone would die, they would bring uh, the glassware that that person used and they would crash it on the rocks below. And so for years, this glass has been churning there and it is everywhere. And it's just spectacular. If you go there at sunset, um, it's pretty amazing to see what the sun does with all of that uh, beautiful beach glass. But it's the little single pieces that, that make up the total beauty of a beach that's covered with glass that you could walk across because none of it's sharp. It's all smooth over. Uh, to me, every single is part of making up the beauty of this church. And many times, they're the most beautiful part of this church. They're the ones that are, are serving so hard because they aren't burdened with relationship of marriage and children. They're the ones that are practicing so hard uh, to do praise and worship. They bring beauty to a fellowship like this. And it's so sad, and I've been there, and maybe you have, uh, when a person who is single doesn't feel like that they have an equal share in a church. And I hope and pray that one of the things that we could do uh, as a result of this message is appreciate uh, every single human being in this church in a new and different way. I would also hope that any of us who are married uh, and who got married under false pretenses, who presented one person when we were really something else, that we would commit to doing whatever it takes, uh, not to be the person we said we were, but to become the person that God wants us to be. And uh, what a great, great way to honor God 
is to admit and confess and then surrender to his way and not our own. Let me pray for you. God, thank you for every single person. And Lord, thank you for um, giving us a hope and a future, even when it feels so desperate, even when it feels like there isn't any hope. And Lord, um, thank you for bringing blended families together and blessing them and allowing them to bless others. Help us to be loving, accepting, and forgiving. In your name we pray, amen.